Good morning, and welcome to Northminster Church. Today is a day for the worship of God and a holiday on which we can celebrate the freedom in our nation. We welcome all of you to join us in doing both, though we will try to not intertwine spiritual worship and civic celebration. I need to tell you something and listen clearly, closely to what I'm about to say. My sermon for today should not be identified as the revealed Word of God. Only as a sermon sensitive to God's Word, but not taken directly from God's Word. The truth is that the only textual reading based on Holy Scriptures that I could read to you this morning would be to condemn the American Revolution. This is not a good day for that. Any sermon on the government of the United States in a church requires going beyond biblical text from the Bible while staying true to the basic biblical values of freedom, equality, and justice. Though the Bible contains numerous passages about governments, no text in the Bible directly addresses the kind of government under which we live in the United States of America. But several readings in the Bible provide us with wisdom, inspiration, and direction. And so this morning, we begin the service reading from the Word of God.
Let's say our prayers. God of the ages, this morning we pray without understanding. Even our gratitude to you is expressed without us really knowing how it came to be that we are grateful. So much for which we are thankful has nothing to do with our work, our plans, our choices. God, we are filled with questions. What if I woke up this morning as a 40-year-old beggar looking for something to eat on a dirty street in Calcutta? Would I be giving thanks to you, God? For what reason are we part of a church in Monroe, Louisiana, when just as easily we could be members of a Muslim mosque in Tehran? How did we get to live in a democracy in the United States rather than in subservience to the tyrannical government of North Korea? What if we had never had a chance to make money that we could keep, but were forced to live where we receive only what the government gives us? Why do we have health care and pensions and others don't? What gave us the ability to get an education and choose a vocation? God, we are not grateful because of our compassion to others. But knowing other possibilities, we give thanks for our realities. Never could we be arrogant enough to think we deserve what we have or so cocky about our lives that we don't understand all could be lost. Gracious God, we pray for people who do not know what it is to live in freedom. We pray that vaccines will get to people who are on one's, nobody's list for delivery, not even that of the United States, because a government over which those people have no control has little care for life. We lift the same prayer, God, for people who are hungry, thirsty, and fearful. God, we pray for members of our families who hospitalized or not are suffering. We pray for job seekers with rising anxieties. We pray for lovers in hiding, for people made crazy by unfulfilled desires, for individuals who are lonely, for people starved for affection, for Welcome to strangers. Taking nothing for granted, God, and scratching our heads as we acknowledge our good fortune, we thank you for our lives, 
for our freedom, for our rights, and we pray you will use us in helping change the plight of those who have less. Amen. On the evening of September 13, 1814, after dining with military officers on the British ship HMS Tonnet, 
seeking to negotiate and exchange for prisoners, Francis Scott Key was denied departure from the ship because a fierce battle had erupted in Chesapeake Bay. Key spent a sleepless night listening to bombardments aimed at American troops, anxiously fearing the fate of his fellow patriots. At the first sight of light, Key, the lawyer poet, as best he could, peered over the bay covered with smoke residue from heavy gunfire and large explosives, nervously straining to catch a glance of which flag, the British Union Jack or the American flag, was flying over the bay signaling victory. When he saw the American flag high over the water, the poet was inspired to write a song about our nation. The first words of which I have always been intrigued with. Oh, say, can you see? Keep that question in mind, please. We'll come back to it. For as long as I can remember, I have loved the 4th of July. Indeed, I have considered it an honor to speak on that day, whether passionately calling for the protection of freedom while standing in the Canterbury pulpit of the National Cathedral in our nation's capital, or from a lectern in Brighton Beach, England, where I delivered a speech on the assigned topic of civic disobedience. Not particularly a good theme in England on the day I was celebrating the 4th of July. Or at home, right here, behind this pulpit, Northminster Church, where I have praised and defended freedom from day one in this sanctuary. Independence Day is a time to talk about the most important subjects of our lives. Freedom, government, peace, responsibility, citizenship, independence. This morning, I feel both responsible and joyful as I repeat Jesus' exclamation, the truth will make you free. And repeat the first words of the Star Spangled Banner, oh, say can you see. I must confess that on this 4th of July, I am more concerned about our nation and more fearful about our future than on any prior Independence Day that I can remember. 
A few days ago, a longtime friend of mine, steeped in knowledge of the nation, asked me if I thought this would be the last 4th of July that we would celebrate as a democracy. The question stunned me. I wanted to ask, what do you mean? But suddenly, the opening words of our national anthem rushed into my mind and forced me to think seriously about that question. Oh, say, can you see? Though I was actually asking myself, oh, say, can I see? When Francis Scott Key raised that question surrounded by conflict, he saw our nation's flag waving triumphantly. He had hope that morning. He had a reason for hope that morning. This morning, what do we see? What do I see? Americans' support for democracy our nation's great experiment has reached a new low. 77% of the citizens in our nation fear that our democracy is in danger. The smartest of political scientists are warning us that the health of major dramatic principles, democratic principles, is under severe attack. Scores of citizens and even members of Congress now favor an autocratic government in which freedom is secondary, if important at all. And you see that? Do you see it? Two of the most fundamental foundations of democracy are religious freedom and free open elections. Both of those pillars of stability are under attack. Religious freedom has always been the cornerstone of our democracy. Early in my civics classes, I learned that if we lost religious freedom, we would lose democracy. Only a few days ago, while the Supreme Court was reporting its decisions on the cases it has heard during the past year, more than one of the justices of the high court said that the definition of religious freedom will be altered. The new definition seems to veer away from the First Amendment, and the court seems willing to provide more protection for discrimination that opens the door for some established religions, a move that the pilgrims came to this land to escape. Can I see that? Is that really going on? Religious leaders among Baptist and Catholic bishops have agreed to refuse communion to politicians who do not oppose abortion, even if that leader is the President of the United States. 
Is that politics or is that freedom? Speaking of religion, one of the fastest growing religions in our nation today is QAnon, a political movement disguised as religion. Members of that group allege that a cabal of satanic, cannibalistic pedophiles are running a global sex trafficking role that conspires against one of the presidential candidates in the last election. Devotees of QAnon are anti-Semitic because they believe Jews murdered children and engaged in satanic blood rituals. Members of QAnon are waiting for a day they call storm on which our government will be overturned and its current leaders will be replaced by the people supporting QAnon. What is that? Can you see? Is is this religion? Or is this politics? Or is it neither? Voting has long been called the most powerful nonviolent change of governmental leadership in a democratic society. Often voting has been called the holiest act of democracy. Of course, for many years, the nation did not want women to vote or American, African-American men or women to vote. And now voting repression has emerged again at the heart of change regarding elections, state legislatures are moving the final decisions about who wins elections from voters and placing them in the hands of the political party that is the power in power in their state. What could be called bludgeoning democracy. Do you see that? Now, now I speak with anger, sickness, fear, and tears. Day after day, we watch replays of a reality that most of us never even imagined, much less feared or prepared for. I, I, I don't consider myself naive. However, on January the 6th, 2021, I watched the violent attack on our nation's capital, a structure that for years I've always entered with awe and attended meetings there with reverence. So many nights I have walked around that Capitol building stating and staring and admiring that beautiful dome and giving thanks to God for our government and the privilege of working in it. On that day, everything changed. We had to come face to face with the truth that most of us thought was not truth, that scores of American citizens 
hate democracy and armed themselves to destroy our capital. Can you see it? Almost unbelievably, either blind people or outright liars are now trying to tell us that what the whole world saw with gasps did not really happen. Oh, say, can you see? I saw it. Efforts were made to kill our vice president by hanging him. Would-be murderers brought the gallus with them. Brutal insurrectionists used the American flag to brutally beat down policemen trying to defend the Capitol and members of Congress. Reflecting on what happened now, why would anyone, especially members of Congress, not want to hold hearings to explore what happened then and how we can keep it from happening again? Can you see that? Do you understand? And now we're being warned that another such homegrown terrorist attack may soon occur. Look, this is more I don't understand. What do you see? When all of us have just endured, and, and some people are still enduring, a deadly pandemic, how could we not be impassioned to pull ourselves together to create a healthy society and build a more perfect union instead of fostering greater division and fragmenting more the United States? Why can't we see that? Do you feel it? Does it bother you? I hate this part of today's sermon. I hate it because I love this nation. I know the good in our land. This is my home. I have enjoyed being in other places around the world like Sri Lanka and had strangers come up to me and say, Thank you, thank you, thank the United States for what it has done for us. Look, I want, I want to shoot firecrackers, listen to patriotic music, celebrate this day. But there is that question with which the Star Spangled Banner begins, Oh, say, can you see? really see. Devoid of reality, things will get worse. If we refuse to look around us, we repeat mistakes and slam shut the doors to positive change and a new love for our Constitution. What we are seeing, violent attacks, ugly discrimination, attempts to 
remove our democracy and replace it with autocracy is not sustainable. Look, I, I don't have answers to all of these troubling questions, but I have lived long enough to know that no problem can be solved without the problem being acknowledged. Yes, it hurts. It hurts to look. It is normal for us to not want to look at something that bothers us rather than stare at something that we really want to see. It's difficult, but we have to open our eyes and do it with sharp vision and brave honesty so that we can look long and hard at what is happening around us. Oh, say, can you see? My friends, it does not have to be this way. We can do better. We must do better. So many things matter. Schools need to teach civics and classics, ethics. People who are cherished independence should also practice interdependence. Racism, bigotry, and violence, especially gun violence, must be stopped. People's sexual orientation should not be used to define whether a person is a real person made by God or not. What I'm talking about is not political matters. These are matters of life and death. Well, let me focus on just three items for a moment that I think are important for a better nation. Both the starting point and the strongest foundation of our country is honesty. Honesty, remember? What do we see? Without honesty, there is no trust. And without trust, there is no cooperation and there is no union. Honesty is a must. And right now, honesty is missing in both leaders of government and representatives of religion. Truth-telling is the first step on a road to recovery in our splintered, violent communities. Second, second is we must regain control of partisan politics. Politics is a part of government, great part of government. Compromise and cooperation are there. Right now, though, partisan politics is out of control to an extent that it taints, if not contradicts, patriotism. Can you see it? The framers of our Constitution warned us. George Washington spoke of the baneful effects of the spirit of party. Adams confessed that he dreaded nothing more than two great parties. Jefferson said, if I could not go to heaven but with a partisan party, I declined to go. The Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia entirely omitted political parties from the news directions of our government. Can you see that? The biases, divisions, and conflicts in the two major political parties in our nation, each divided internally, 
are stagnating the decision-making of both the House and the Senate and threatening our democracy. The people we elect to office should pay more attention to their constitutions and to their constituencies, uh, so that is more important than the power of their political parties. Third, elections need campaign finance reform, shorter time frames for election periods, and a careful review of the Constitution's guides to assure fair representation. We can make a difference. Religious institutions have an important role to play in this discussion. Most needed immediately is for religious institutions to behave as religious institutions, not as politicians. Religious bodies should teach their morals but make clear the distinction between religious morals and partisan policies. Houses of worship can be, but so many are not, facilitators of the helpful dialogue and transforming action. The diversity in congregations like ours should be a positive factor, helping people better know each other and understand each other instead of sparks erupting controversy. That can happen. In fact, we have experienced that in this congregation and in this community more than once, I remember well when Rabbi Klein and I convened community leaders uh, to talk about unity uh, amid tense moments after the first African-American mayor had been elected in Monroe. You know what happened when we got together? Rumors faded. The bright light of truth prevailed. Ordinary people with extraordinary vision can redeem the soul of America. But it requires action, not, not just thinking about it, not just talking about it. When our forebears penned the Constitution, they wrote a wonderful document, but they didn't live it. In my 4th of July sermon in 2004, I shared with the congregation an insight from my friend Bill Moyers. As an author of the Constitution, Jefferson, Jefferson wrote it right. Jefferson lived it wrong. That which Jefferson could commend to the world, he couldn't embrace in his own household. Words were not enough. Words are not enough. Only actions make a difference. One day in a conversation with Rachel Maddow, she told me that she no longer pays any attention to what people say. She said, I don't pay attention to what they say. I only pay attention to what they do. I understand that. It makes sense. From the civil rights movement, I also learned about the priority of action. We make no progress simply saying things will get better. I'm sure it'll get better. Democracy is not a state. It's an act. Citizenship is a verb. Let me be personal for a moment. The passion of my patriotism is 
exceeded only by the passion of my religion. But I know the difference between the two. Indeed, when I lose sight of that difference, both my patriotism and my religion suffer. Separation between the two is vital for my integrity and the ability to speak honestly about religion and politics. Never can one serve as a substitute for the other. My faith gives me values, priorities, vision, and strength. My politics takes shape as a strategy for living by love and practicing justice in my nation. Motivated by my faith, I am committed to trying to the best of my ability to translate the lofty truths of our Constitution into the daily realities of our nation. As a nation and as an American, I see nothing less that is acceptable. Congressman John Lewis was one of the finest people I've ever met. I cherished every minute I spent with him. Two days before he died, he wrote his last words for publication, several of which are held in my head and in my heart. What he said is how we should live. All of us can benefit from what John Lewis said. These words, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. Francis Scott Key had hope because he dared look at what was maybe ugly or maybe all right. We must dare see the truth about what is going on in our nation so we can be doing what true patriots need to do. If we don't, if we shut our eyes, if we don't see reality, our answer to the question in the Star Spangled Banner, oh, say can you see, is no. No. We can't see. We don't even want to see. Friends, on this Independence Day, we have work to do and a nation to save. So let's ask the hard questions, face the difficult issues, and pursue a better way. On this 4th of July, let's follow a few other words from John Lewis. Together, you, we, can redeem the soul of this nation. So walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirit of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. Amen.
A couple of reminders about taking communion. Remember to please wear your mask as you come forward, and then you will take your mask off, obviously, when you uh, partake of the elements. Also, as you partake of the elements, please, when you receive the bread, hold your palms out like this so the bread can be placed in your hands. Don't reach out for the bread. And also, the cup will be placed in your hands as well. Thanks.
to 
be seated. Before our closing hymn, we have a few opportunities and announcements. Remember this afternoon, beginning at five o'clock, everyone is invited to DH in my home at 2401 Point Drive in Monroe for us to celebrate Independence Day together. There's more information about that in the order uh, of, in insert in the order of service, and I hope that you all will plan to be there. We should have fun, and we'll also have some food, uh, if you bring some. Uh, well, the, the chicken will be provided. Uh, also remember that this coming Thursday, July 8th, is the deadline to submit uh, names of persons you think uh, the Coordinating Council should nominate to serve on the Pastor Search Committee. And you can email those names to the church office, or you can call the church office to submit the names. Uh, if you get the church's email, uh, voicemail, please leave your message. If you've tried to access our in-person worship services on YouTube, you know we have been having some difficulties. We've had a steep learning curve, needless to say. However, we believe that as of today, we have been streaming live and the service will also be recorded and available on our YouTube channel for future viewing. We hope. <laughs> uh, following the service today, feel free to uh, come and take some of the flowers on the communion table to help brighten your or someone else's week. And otherwise, otherwise, please check out the insert in the order of worship for other opportunities and announcements. And as we say each week, if you have found a place of community or healing or hope at Northminster and believe in the work that we're doing, please consider supporting us financially so that we will be able to continue creating a space like this in all the days to come. To support Northminster financially, you can put a check or cash in the collection plate at the rear of the sanctuary, mail a check to the church, or go to our website at northmen.org slash give. Thank you, and now please stand for the closing hymn. <laughs>